You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. I'm so stoked to be with you guys this morning. Uh, my name is Ryan. My birth name is Ryan. But many years ago, I got the nickname Riz. And I'll tell you a whole story. It's, uh, well, it's a combination between Snoop Dogg and In-N-Out Burger in California. It's a long story. I'll tell you all if you want to do that. Um, but that's what you can call me by. Uh, I'm the church planning pastor here at Reality. Uh, I was a pastor in California at uh, another reality for about 10 years. And over the course of the last five or so, we sensed the Lord um, calling us to plant Reality Honolulu. And my wife, if you didn't know her, is Zoe. She's the one that was leading worship this morning. So God bless her. She's awesome, wonderful, and amazing. And then I have two children. Uh, I have a daughter, a four-and-a-half-year-old daughter named Eva. She's with the pre-K kids, probably some of yours. And then also a son named Liam, and he's 18 months, uh, probably wreaking havoc in the nursery with yours as well. And so <laughs> see some nursery, nursery teachers from last week, like, shaking their heads, like, yes. <laughs> But um, we're so excited to uh, just worship and gather and uh, study the Word of God with you. We're going to be going through the book of Mark on Sundays. If you were with us last week, we started that. We did the first 11 verses, and we're doing verse by verse every week. Probably going to be about uh, a year in the book of Mark. So we go slow. We uh, take our time, but uh, man, we, we are excited for what God is doing and how he's led us to the book of Mark. And so why don't you open up your Bibles with me this morning to Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. So we're only doing two verses this morning, but uh, some really potent stuff in them. Mark 1, 12 through 13 is our text. A little bit for context sake, I'm going to read starting from verses 9, dipping into a little bit of last week, but verses 9 through 13 is what I'll read right now, and I'm... I'm uh, teaching out of the New Living Translation. Have it on the screen in case you have a different translation. But it says this. It says, One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. The Spirit then compelled Jesus into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. This is, the, this is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and we recognize it as yours. It's God-breathed and God-inspired and it's profitable for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training in righteousness so the man or woman may be adequately equipped for every good work. And we receive it as that this morning, as all authority, as being infallible, without error. We trust in it for our lives. We see it as, as, as your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would anoint our time this morning that you, you, Holy Spirit, would teach us from your word what it is that you want us to see. Each of us are very uniquely made with different sets of 
giftings and talents and personalities. We have different lives, different spouses, different kids, different jobs, and we're all in different seasons. But thank you, Lord, that you are bigger than our differences and your word applies to us all. Thank you, Lord, that your word is, is lasting, that the grass may wither or the flower may fade, but the word of God stands forever. And so, God, we, we do want to receive from you as a people, that knowing that we're in need of your guidance and your leading and your love and your care this morning. So, God, as we dig into your word, we ask that you would give us understanding of what the text means, but not only that, how it applies to our own lives. Do that, Father. Anoint our time. I pray that I would be your mouthpiece for your glory, for the furthering of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our text this morning is, is, is when the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness. And after a dramatic appearance of the Holy Spirit last week we studied, right, in baptism, a dove descended as, as the Holy Spirit, God opening the heavens spoke, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. After this dramatic appearance of the Holy Spirit at his baptism, the work of the Spirit now is leading Jesus or rather driving him in or compelling him into the wilderness. And this temptation that he's going to undergo in the wilderness by Satan for 40 days was no accidental encounter. It's no chance meeting but it was a, rather a divine appointment scheduled by the Father and implemented by the Spirit. And wilderness in the, in the Jewish psyche for a first century Jew would have, would have brought to mind many different things. You know, the wilderness in Jewish thought was viewed as a place of danger and gloom and even the home of demons. We see this in Matthew chapter 12 and Luke 8 and Luke 11. Jesus was drove, he was compelled by the Spirit into this place of danger and gloom by the same Father that just baptized him by the power of the Spirit. And he's driven out into this wilderness, this place of danger and gloom for 40 days. And also that would have been significant. 40 days, the number 40 throughout the Old Testament is a number that often shows of judgment or testing. You know, we see that with Noah and the ark, that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. You know, Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses kept sheep in the wilderness for 40 years. And now it's Jesus' time of testing and this idea of there's 40 days of testing that the Lord has, or that God has compelled Jesus into by the Spirit. And for Mark, you know, the tone and tenor of the book of Mark is this fast-paced, give you Jesus right away, don't go into too much detail kind of book. Just give it how it is. You know, it's like an outline almost. And so Mark leaves out pretty much everything. He doesn't really tell us what happened in the wilderness. He doesn't really say the outcome. But Mark and Luke different gospels, tells us a lot more in detail. And so what I wanted to do is wanted to bring in the book of Matthew to help us figure out what did happen to Jesus because Mark, being that fast-paced uh, author, leaves it out. And so uh, I have it on the screen, but if you did want to hold your hand in Mark and then turn over to Matthew chapter 4, you could do that also. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And again, 
If we're reminded of what the Gospels are, they're different points of view from different authors for different purposes. So they're not in contradictory to one another. If anything, it just helps us to see the event or the teaching or the miracle or something that Jesus did in further greater detail. And so Matthew writes in detail what happened in these 40 days with Jesus in the wilderness with Satan. So Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11 says this. Then Jesus, speaking of the same account, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. Of course he would, right? During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So that that didn't work, right? That temptation didn't work. And the second thing the devil says is he took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Then the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of their glory. This is his third temptation. He says, I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. So we get more detail here of what actually happened during this 40-day period in the wilderness. Satan, the personification of evil was tempting Jesus in a few different ways. You know, first it was a very temporal need. I mean, Jesus was, was, was fully God and fully man, so when he fasted, he became very hungry. The scripture tells us this. And the devil was tempting him even with, with these own personal needs that he had uh, to, rather, than, rather than obey the will of the Father. The temptation for Christ was to provide for his own personal needs over the will of the Father. That was the first temptation. The second temptation was to do things outside of a command or the will of God. Well, Scripture says this, and why don't you test God, and why don't you do this? But Jesus, knowing Scripture, said, no, the Word of God also says this, to not put the Word of God to test, or not put God to test. So the the second temptation was to do something outside of the will or Word of God, And then lastly, Satan's temptation was, hey, I will give you all this earthly power and prestige, but you need to bow down and worship me other than God the Father. And of course, Jesus, being the Son of God, rejects this, does not fall into temptation, and does not fall to the temptation of gaining earthly power rather than uh, obedience to the Father. That's a very quick summary of this, of this um, text in Matthew. But the significance here is that Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, and Satan, uh, the personification of evil, was in one of the greatest showdowns that the world had ever seen. 
The Son of God, Messiah, Savior of the world, was being tempted by Satan. The personification of evil, which represented all evil and rebellion to God. The father of lies, right? The thief. But through it all, through these temptations, these really difficult, hard temptations in the wilderness for 40 days, through it all, Jesus overcame evil. He defeated Satan's temptations and attempts. Jesus conquered temptation. He withstood the barrages of the enemy because they were real temptations. They were easy to say yes to. It was something very, very immediate that Jesus need, needed was food. Or, you know, in a lot of senses, hey, this is how you could have the king, you could have the whole world right now. You don't have to even go to the cross, in other words. You don't have to suffer. You can, you can have it all right now. And so Satan is tempting the Son of God. But because Jesus knew and stood firm on the word of God, his response to each of the enemy's temptations was met with scripture. It wasn't met with a mere no or just a rejection, but he met every single temptation with what the word of God said. He obeyed the word of God and the will of the Father over temptation. He didn't fall to sin. He overcame sin and he overcame the power of the devil. See, this is a big deal. This is only the beginning, right? There's going to be more temptation, and ultimately the, the complete victory is at the cross when Jesus defeated sin, death, and the devil for good. To Telestai, it is finished. But this was this first encounter where the Son of God met Satan in the wilderness for 40 days. And he did not fall. He did not succumb. And the Gospel of John tells us this is what happened. In John 3, 38, it says, The devil has sinned from the beginning, but the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. John 10, 10 and 11 also says, The thief, speaking of Satan, comes, not only, uh, excuse me, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus speaking, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is what God came to do as he ushered in the kingdom of God through the person of Jesus Christ. As Jesus, the son of God, enters into this fallen world, he begins to, to reverse the effects of sin and break the powers of the devil and the bondage of sin that, that, that he's held over humanity. And this situation in the wilderness is just the beginning. It's the first battle that is won and ultimately will be fully victorious at the cross. But what I want to do for a second is compare Jesus being tempted by the devil in the wilderness and being reminded of the differences or maybe even the similarities of Adam in the garden that was also, Adam and Eve that was also tempted by the devil. I mean, think about it. So Adam and Eve were in a garden. They weren't in the desert, but they were also tempted and they were tempted to be like God or to know what God knew. Very similar to what just happened in the wilderness. But we know how the story goes. Adam and Eve fell to temptation. And why was it a sin in the garden? It was a sin because they disobeyed the word of God. 
God said, this is the garden. This is the entire earth. You have all of it, but just don't do one thing. And he spoke his word, and he says, just don't eat from that one tree the, uh, of the tree of good and evil. Just everything else is yours. Don't eat from that one. But they decided to fall into the temptation that Satan spoke to them, and they did disobey the word of God, and sin entered the world, and we, myself, and you in this room are still feeling and experiencing the effects of that one disobedient decision. Right, and so we live in a fallen world. Sin is in it, and we live in the effects of sin. That's why when we look around, this world is full of grief and death and murder and heartache and disease and pain is a result of that decision to not obey the word of God. But then we see Jesus, and in the same way, he was tempted. This time it wasn't in a beautiful garden, and it, it was in the wilderness, the desert. And he was among the wild animals. You see how it just throws wild animals in there for no reason? I think there's significance in that. I don't think it's for no reason. I think it's gonna, it reminds us of the garden when animals necessarily weren't wild. Man had dominion over all the animals back in the garden, but now animals are dangerous and wild. And I think it's just pointing to the fact that uh, the temptation of Jesus was much more significant. Jesus was also tempted, though, with needs, food, power, control, authority. But he withstood temptation. And the reason why is that he obeyed the word of God. He obeyed scripture. He didn't disobey it like Adam and Eve, but he obeyed it. He walked in it. He trusted in God's word. And what it did was it thwarted and stopped the temptations of the devil, and he did not sin. He came out victorious over the power of the devil. And so we refer to Christ as that second Adam. That's what many theologians, many Bible scholars would call Christ the second Adam. The first one fell to temptation and sin entered the world. But the second Adam, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came away to take away the sins of the world, to reverse the effects of sin that happened in the garden. And the start of it's in the wilderness. So it's this dramatic scene that's happening in the wilderness. But the truth for us, listening to this, living our own lives, is that we too will encounter wilderness seasons. Now, I guarantee you it's not going to look the same. You're not going to be in the wilderness in Israel, and Satan himself is probably not going to walk up to you and tempt you with these same temptations. But we all... In one way or another, either you're in it right now or you have experienced what we call, you know, dark times. Or we've encountered trials or times of testing, right? That could be everything from you really, you really thought you were going to get that job and you didn't. Or something that you had worked a really long time for and planned out fell apart and didn't work out. Your, your, your expectations weren't met. Or maybe there's opportunities that you've missed, or maybe it comes in the form of loss or tragedy, right? In your life, in your family, close ones. I mean, I mean a, a wilderness season would be something when, when someone asks, like, how you're doing, your response would be, man, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just in it right now. I'm going through it. It's really hard. It's really difficult. And there's, there's reasons that 
the reason, you know, there's reasons that make you say that. But you guys, you guys have wilderness seasons, not just me, not just Jesus, all of us, right? You may be in it right now, or you may have just come out of it, or there's those times in your life. And in the midst of those wilderness seasons, you know, sometimes we start to question God, right? We start to question, you know, God, where are you in all this? Have you left me? Why did you do this? Why did you allow this to happen? I thought it was going so well, or you had all these things laid out, and then all of a sudden, like, it feels like the rug was pulled out from me. And if you're anything like me, a sinner in need of Jesus, you go there fairly quick sometimes, depending on the trial you're in, depending on the, the, the period of testing, how long it is, how close to home it is, so to speak. But we begin to question the character of God and the purposes of God in it all. For me and my wife, I don't know if I totally can speak for her, but I think so. For us, prior to moving to Hawaii, so we moved here in January, so I've been here about nine months. Before that, uh, the last five years before moving here was the, was the hardest season of our lives. And, and many times <clears throat> felt like we were in the wilderness, wandering wondering, God, what are you doing? We really feel like you've spoken this thing about like planting a church in Hawaii, but there was seasons, if not years at a time, that it almost felt like God had stopped speaking. Lonely, I mean, discouragement, bordering depression. Speaking of myself now, I don't want to speak of my wife. <laughs> but it was absolutely one of the most difficult times of our life. There were so many unknowns. We were questioning if we were in God's will or not. It felt like we were just floating in the middle of nowhere, just wondering, God, where are you? Nothing was easy. Nothing was fun. And I mean, I was in ministry as a pastor at a church that sent me out to plant this. And it was really difficult. It was really hard. And for you, it may be something else. It's going to be. It's going to look different. But we all know this season, and some of us know it really well because you're in it, and some of us um, know this really well because it was really difficult. But the truth is, we may not fare too well in those seasons. I know that I, I didn't really fare that well. God ultimately sustained me and got me through it, but you know how easy it is in a wilderness season to just want to give up. To, to despair, to turn bitter, to fall into temptation, if that's the case, of just not obeying. Because for us, it was this, this sense, really clear sense that God had called us to something, this. But then it felt like, at times, it just was like, that's not going to work. Uh, Lord, I see. You want me to do that? Here's all the obstacles. Can't work. And then you start justifying, you know, with God, and you start talking to the Lord and telling him why it's not the right timing. And you guys, I'm sure you can relate to me. But when we do find ourselves in the wilderness, so to speak, in our lives, there's three things that we have to cling to and we have to do or else you won't make it. Life's too hard in this fallen world. I don't know if you know. But the older I get, 
It just seems like the increasingly difficult and complex life gets. <laughs> Can I get an amen? There's three things that I believe that for those of us that, that know the Lord, that are walking in this wilderness seasons need to do. Number one is we need to trust in God's control. Number two is we need to trust in God's word. Number three is we need to trust in God's purpose. This is what I mean, trusting God's control. We, we have to know and be reminded that God is in control of all things. Another word would be he, he is sovereign. He is sovereign and over and, and ruling and reigning over everything. A part of his character, it is to be all-knowing and all-powerful. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the truth is that we need to be reminded of and cling to in the midst of the wilderness is that there's nothing that he doesn't know about. And it may feel like that because I know that I tell God a lot the things that he feel like he doesn't know, especially with timing. God, the timing is not good. I don't know if you know, but if we don't do that this time, it's not going to work. And, you know, it's like so silly that I would do that. But we so easily can doubt God's control. But the truth is, is that he knows what we're going through. He's either allowed it or possibly we even see in Jesus's case, he led Jesus into this time of testing. I mean, did you see that? It says that the spirit compelled him or drove him into the wilderness. Really strange coming off a very celebratory baptism experience for God by the spirit to compel his son into the wilderness. But there was purpose, right? There was reason for it. But God knows what we're going through. And not only does he know, but he's near to you. I mean, did you catch that the, the angels were ministering to Jesus or attending to him while he was in the wilderness? That example reminds us of the truth that God will never leave us or forsake us. It may feel like he has, right? There's, there's no indicators. You're not feeling this sense of peace and joy, maybe. You feel abandoned. You feel that way emotionally. But the truth of God's word that we see throughout scripture in Deuteronomy 31, Hebrews 13, and just his character is that God will never leave us or forsake us. He won't. He will never leave us or forsake us. One of my favorite psalms in the whole world, because there's many times that I've felt alone and abandoned by the Lord emotionally. He hasn't, but I've felt that way. It's Psalm 139, 1 through 10. If you've never read this, well, welcome to this wonderful psalm. If you have, I would suggest that you think about memorizing it. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 10 says, O Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I am far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. 
You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing upon my hand. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, which is where we are, just so you know, farthest away from land here. Sorry. Even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. In times of wilderness, we have to trust in God's control. That is the very first thing that we must put at the bedrock of our lives is that God is in control of my life. If you don't have that, the other two won't matter. We first and foremost have to be reminded that in all seasons, at, in, all, in all times, whether we feel like it or not, there is nowhere that we can go that God is not with us. Amen? The second thing that we need to do in times of wilderness season is trust in God's word. Right? Look at Jesus. That's what he did. His example in the text this morning is for our lives. He knew the word. He lived by the word. And what God's word does for us is it, it gives us strength not to fall, and it gives us strength to persevere, right? In times of testing in our lives, we may be tempted to just jump ship, bail out, be done with it. It's too hard. The word of God is the thing, and the only thing by the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to get us through these wilderness seasons, that's going to sustain us and strengthen us. We see this throughout the word of God itself, speaking of the power of the word of God. Psalm 119, verse 11. The whole chapter is about the word of God, but this one verse. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. How, 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 do, you, how do you not sin? Well, it's by God's word. I know God's word. I'm strengthened. It keeps me from rebellion to God. James 4, 7, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. So if we submit ourselves under the authority of God and his word, the truth is, is that the devil will flee from us. The devil will flee when we stand and submit to the word of God. And also the word of God is our hope. Right, Hebrews 6.19, our hope is an anchor to our soul. That vivid imagery of a boat anchored in a harbor, the only reason that the boat does not float away or veer is that the anchor is there to, to, to make the boat immovable. And so the word of God is something that we can stand, uh, stand on, and so to speak, in the storms or in the wilderness seasons of our life, we can cling to it as an anchor to our soul. And so as we're walking in, you know, trusting in God's control, then what that would look like tangibly is knowing God's word so that when we are feeling discouraged and depressed and despairing and wanting to disobey, that we're reminded, right? In the Holy Spirit in us, it says that he'll remind us of the word of God, that he's our teacher and our helper that God has given us, that when you read the word of God, you might not be able to recite it like right away, or when you're reading the word, you're like, I don't know if I'm retaining any of this. But you'd be surprised at how often, if, you've, if you read the word of God, that the Spirit reminds you of his word in that moment of temptation. 
And the last thing is walking into wilderness is that number three is trusting in God's purpose. Right, God's in control. Okay, I know that. And yeah, I know his word. I read his word. But we have to trust in God's purpose that his ways are not our ways and his ways are better than ours. That he knows what he's doing and why he's doing it. Right, because I can easily get to, okay, God, you're in control. You allowed this season to happen. And I know your word, but I still don't, I still do not understand why you're doing this. Like, why are you allowing me to go through pain and suffering and trial? Why didn't you just do these other things? And unless I trust in God's purpose, I'll continue to question. I'll continue to wonder. It'll lead to doubt. It'll lead to me disobeying God. And so we have to trust in God's purposes, that he's the good shepherd who loves us as his own, that he lives outside of time, that he sees the whole story. We have to remember that God is the author of each and every one of our stories and the grand story of the entire universe. And just like a good book, you got to have some drama or some conflict in order for there to be some good. Or there's got to be some, some death and destruction. There's going to be a battle in order for there to be hope and victory at the end. It's like a, you know, this is sometimes the wilderness is just a chapter, right? That God is writing, but there's purpose in why he's writing it. He doesn't do things for no reason. There's, there's many different reasons why God would put us through a wilderness experience. It might be to prepare us to be used. Or it might be preparing us for another thing coming up, another wilderness season. But ultimately, God wants to bear fruit in our own lives. Ultimately, God wants to draw near to us and us to draw near to him and for us to become more like Christ. Because from my experience, there's, there's, there's two ways you can go when, when you encounter a wilderness season, right? When tragedy hits, when, you, when, you, when you're given bad news, when you're in a season where life is really hard, there's only two ways you can go. It's away from God or towards God. And those are with your actions and your thoughts and your attitudes. But it, it's true. You talk to people that have had cancer or their kids have had cancer or, or there's just a really difficult situation and they either come out closer to Jesus, trusting the Lord. The, the pain didn't go away, but they just experienced God and his grace and his mercy that much richer, and, he drew, and they drew near to the Lord. Or tragedy and wilderness seasons can really, if you allow doubt and discouragement and bitterness and despair to creep in and to stay in, and you're not trusting in God's control and his word and his purpose, you know what happens? You turn away. You, 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 you hate God. You, 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 you blame God, right? There's, there's only two ways you can go in wilderness seasons. But ultimately, God's desire is that we would draw near to him in times of trials and testing. And his desire for us is that we would grow to be more like him. I can look back at the last five years and I can, now, I, now I can thank God. It took me a while. But I can look back at that five-year wilderness season and say, God, I'm thankful for what you did in me in those, in those years because I wouldn't have grown and I wouldn't have been near to you and you would not have accomplished those things unless I was tested, unless you put me through that season. And the book of James tells us this, tells us the purpose of God in trials. James 1, 2 through 4. It says, dear brothers and sisters, 
when troubles of any kind come your way, meaning any wilderness season, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. There is great purpose. God knows far better than we do the course of our life and how we are to grow and what's best for us. It's the same thing, you know, um, a lot of you have kids. There's a lot of kids in the kids' ministry right now. And as a parent, especially of young kids, I mean, a lot of times you're like, I know best. I literally know what's best for you right now. Like, especially when it's obvious, like, hey, if you, I know it's better that you do not touch the stove. I, this is gonna, I know it. I know you're gonna, this is fun for you. This is not gonna be fun. I'm telling you right now, you're gonna get burnt, right? And this you could name that for almost anything with young kids, that the parent has this bird's eye view. They've lived. They know it's going to be better. Not that we know everything. We make a lot of mistakes as parents, for sure. But analogy-wise, you understand that God has this grand view of who we are and how we're made, far better than we know our kids, right? Far better than we know ourselves. He knows what's best, and he's all-knowing and all-powerful and able to to lead us through times of wilderness seasons. And for me, during that season, as much as I wanted to give up and throw in the towel, um, and I didn't really do these things well all the time. There was time, you know, there's times where I trusted God's word and his purpose and his control more than others. But if there's anything I can encourage you with, if you're just in it and you feel overwhelmed and you're in the wilderness right now and you're despairing, Maybe you're even at church today just kind of like giving God one more, ch- one more chance, one more try. The truth is, is that you can look to Jesus because he has been tempted and, and tested far greater than we will ever be, right? In the wilderness with Satan for 40, for 40 days, weak and weary. And we can look to our Lord Jesus and how he lived and suffered, and that can be our anchor, that can be the thing which we trust in. We can look to Jesus for strength. Because here's the deal. When Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, last week's message, he identified with sinners. Even though he was not a sinner, he's perfect. He identified with sinners in baptism. And now he can identify us in temptation. Right? In the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 15, tells us this. Speaking of Jesus, our high priest, he says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah and the Savior of the world, lived a perfect life in the midst of trials and tribulations far greater than we will ever experience. And he came out victorious. And the thing I want to leave you with this morning is that when you're feeling alone, beat up, broken in the middle of your wilderness, look to Jesus, the one and only one who has been there and been victorious. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this example of your son in the wilderness. 
We thank you, Lord, that there is hope for us in light of it, that there is no wilderness season, there's no trial, there's no temptation that you yourself haven't experienced and overcome. Yes, it may have been different, but the the temptation and, and the power to withstand it, God, you experienced it all, and you can relate to our own lives. And Lord, for some of us, we may be in it right now. We ask that you'd give us strength as we look to you, as we submit our lives to you, Jesus. We pray that we would be a people that trust in your control, we trust in your word, and we trust in your purpose. And for those of us that maybe aren't in seasons of wilderness, maybe we've been there, but we're not in it right now, I pray, Lord, that we would be a people that look unto you for the entirety of our life and that you would prepare us if there is something coming, that you'd prepare us that when it happens, which it will, because we live in this fallen world, that we would first look to your sovereignty and your control, that we would jump in, dive in, meditate, study your word, that we would know it, that you would write it on the tablet of our heart, so to speak. And that ultimately, Lord, that we would trust that even though it feels like things are out of control, that you have purpose and there's reason and that you're writing the story of our lives and you are a good, good father. You are a good king and a good shepherd that cares for the sheep, that cares for for each and every one of us. And so, Lord, we pray that we would leave comforted today and strengthened. Pray that we would leave with a greater view of Jesus than when we came in this room. Thank you that we love and live for a victorious Savior that's defeated sin, death, and the devil, and we too can share in that by the power of your Spirit. Thank you, Lord. We love you.